0: Welcome to episode four of Three Idiots and a Lawyer. I'm Matt Pfeiffer, along with Kevin O'Keefe, Brett Fortnum, and Joe Shell. We are glad to have you with us. Guys, how are we doing?
1: Hey, hey. You're all You're right. okay, Matt.
0: Uh, it's uh, it's a, a good day and uh, a good evening, and, and we hope that you uh, are safe and well, wherever you're listening. And thank you for joining us. And of course, uh, make sure to follow us on our Twitter, at 3ILpod. And uh, also, uh, you know, you can catch us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. Give us those stars, those uh, uh, give us those five stars, give us those uh, ratings. That'll help us out a lot. Um, if you like the show, we're really glad to have you. And today we are going to talk about one of the bigger topics that Syracuse sports fans have been talking about, well, honestly, unfortunately, for about the past 15 years or so, what happened to Syracuse football? Anybody who has uh, been a Syracuse fan long enough um, knows that this is a program with a lot of great history. It's a program with 679 wins in its history. It's 30th all-time on the wins list in college football. It has been to 26 bowl games. It's won most of those bowl games. But anybody would know that uh, things got a little sour uh, the past 15 years or so. But before we get into that, let's just take a little trip down Glory Road.
1: New Year's Day of 1960, a new decade, a new year, a new month. And the number one team on the nation's pigskin hit parade, Syracuse, meeting a tri-champion of the Southwest, University of Texas, in Cotton Bowl in Dallas. Syracuse, out to solve the memories of an old wound suffered in this same Cotton Bowl three years before.
0: Syracuse has scored an undefeated season,
1: and the team carries Ben Schwartzwalder off the field. The Orange Men, fourth ranked, undefeated. The Tigers, number six in the nation. Today, in the USFNG Sugar Bowl on ABC Sports College Football.
2: the successor to Dick McPherson as the Orangemen of Syracuse complete
0: Pascaloni's first season with a 10 and 2 record the Ohio State Buckeyes on the road for the first time this year and ranked number 21 in nation they're unbeaten at 2-0 but they're in the unfriendly confines of the carrier dome tonight to take on the eighth-ranked Orangemen of Syracuse Syracuse, not afraid to dream of a national title, but Ohio State, another team
1: in their way. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the IBM OS2 Fiesta Here in the Valley of the Sun, the Syracuse Orangemen against the Colorado Buffaloes, and you could not ask for finer weather. And that was fourth down. And so that means that Syracuse will take over now, needing only to run out 16 seconds to win it. The Orangemen
3: out of the locker room and preparing to come out. 7-0-1 in their last eight bowl games. Outright Big East champions
1: for the first time.
3: Here come the Orangemen. The last play of the game. McNabb throwing the other way for the tight end got
0: it.
2: Wow. I got Syracuse wins the Big East Championship 66 to 13 for Miami.
0: And Jim Brown conjure visions of Syracuse Excellence past. The name Donovan McNabb can now be permanently etched to the Orange List of Legend. Play of the ballgame across the plane of the Syracuse in Florida, the 65th annual FedEx Orange Bowl Classic. So guys, you hear that. And you hear announcers talking about us ranked in the top ten, talking about us being in the Fiesta Bowl, uh, talking about us winning the Big East title. Uh, obviously, you have those national title year back in 1959. But the big thing is you look at what this program did between 1987 and 2004. It amassed a 143-69-4 and record from 1987 through 2004. That's a 78.2% winning percentage. They were in several bowl games in that period. Uh, And, in fact, just to get this number right, make sure I have this, 10-4-1 in bowls between 1987 and 2004. They were ranked as high as fourth in 1987. They were ranked in the top 10 in seven different seasons, and they were ranked at all at some point in the season in thirteen different seasons since the program hired Greg Robinson in two thousand five and the G Rob era happened, Syracuse has been ninety-four and one hundred eleven. That is a forty five point eight percent winning percentage. So we're talking about not just a little drop, a <clears throat> massive drop. What happened?
1: You know, Matt, I I think it's interesting that you you kind of set the bar at 2004 as the end of the successful run. Um, for me, it kind of starts a few years sooner than that. You look at 2001, when we went 10 and 3 and finished the year ranked number 14. I think that's really where this starts because the next year they go 4 and 8, and then they follow that up with two consecutive 6 and 6 seasons, and then Pasqualoni gets fired, and that leads to Robinson getting hired. And I think that's where this starts, is the firing of Pasqualone. Daryl Gross said a change had to be made. Maybe he was right. Maybe it was time for a change. But that gave us Greg Robinson, and that kind of bottomed things out right from the get-go.
3: Well, and I think part of the problem with the Greg Robinson hire was the timing of it. Um, Doc Gross even said that he didn't like the timing of it. He didn't particularly want to fire Pasqualone. And I don't want to relitigate that decision But what happened was, like, they got absolutely trounced in the bowl game, and Gross felt like he had to do something. So he got rid of um, Pasqualoni and he brought in Robinson late. But even that doesn't in any way justify the years of the Greg Robinson era and just the complete and utter failure. Um, And I think you have to start with that decision, the Doc Gross decision, because even though the last few years of Pasqualoni's um tenure were not good nothing was as bad as the greg robinson years
1: second half performance overwhelming by west virginia coming away with a 41 17 victory over the syracuse orange the fifth consecutive win by west virginia
0: over syracuse so Syracuse, Falls, Northwestern, 30-10.
3: to 10. Back goes Fianciola with time. He throws for Boyd, completed the 15. Moy from the 10-5. Touchdown, Penn State. Derek Moy, his first career touchdown catch. And the Nittany Lions lead it 54-13. to 13. Hope vanished
0: September 6th during a 42-28 thrashing at home by the University of Akron. A team picked to finish dead last in the Mid-American Conference.
2: As recently as 0-1, they had their 14th straight winning season. But lately, Syracuse is a laughingstock. Greg Robinson is 7 and 31. More than half those losses by three touchdowns or more. He's overseen the only two 10-loss seasons in school history.
3: Um, well, they, they, that was the
2: that was the absolute bottom. You said you didn't want to go down memory lane, but just for a second, if you'll indulge me. Um, I just recall back to that year, whatever it was, two thousand four, and the chancellor came out very clearly saying that Pasqualoni would not be fired. And then, lo and behold, several weeks or or maybe as, month, as much as a month later, the
1: dreaded vote of confidence.
2: Right, and it it, it was. I mean, coming from different sides, obviously, but then then Doc Rose pulled the trigger to to you know move on from Pasqualoni. And then we hit this dark period after the uh, the, the Robinson signing, right? Um, and, I mean, you can look at uh, Pascaloni, uh, but then Robinson and um, uh, uh, Doug Marone, right? And you think about those those coaches, that, and then obviously Scott Schaefer after that. You look at those coaches and think about them in, in terms of, you know, those three together. And those were the Daryl gross hires. I I wasn't particularly excited about any of those. Whereas, you know, I mean, Dino has been up and down, but I'm excited about Dino Babers. I don't know about you guys. It just, it just feels different now.
3: Well, I think the difference with that hire is you can build a program around Dino with the expectation that Dino is going to be around for that with Doug Marone. I mean, Doug Marone, the four years he had, it was the same four years that three of us were, were at Syracuse where Better years for Syracuse football than we've had in a long time. Uh, Grand, the first one was 4-8, and eight, but f- even four wins at that point was um, somewhat of a, a novelty. But I don't think there was ever an expectation, despite Marone calling it his dream job, that Marone was going to stick around all that long. He, he was always an NFL coach. He was always going to be an NFL coach. Um, if not at the head coach level, um, at some other, um, you know, probably as an OC or something like that. Um, and, you know, I, I enjoyed him while he was there. I enjoyed him when he was in Buffalo, and I wish him nothing but terrible things now after the way he left both of those. But, I mean, Doc Gross could not have went, I'm going to hire Doug Morrow, and this guy is going to build the program back up in perpetuity. It
2: yeah. could be considered kind of as just, a, he, he saw us as a stepping stone, right? Which would would explain why he coached the way he did. You know, I, I feel like he a lot of times just played those games where we were always going to lose. He played them to lose by two touchdowns, right? Whereas I want a coach that's going to go for broke and try to win that game and you've already seen Dino beat a team like Clemson. And Dungy takes one more
0: knee. The Orange pour out out of the field. It's the biggest upset in the Carrier Dome in
2: more than 30 years as the Orange lead the entire game and hold off the defending national champions. They beat Clemson, winners of 11 in a row. The final score, is the Cuse, 27, Clemson, 24. And, and, you know, compete against Clemson, you know, uh, several of the times that we played them during his tenure, but I well, feel like Dino not- is
0: definitely Dino is definitely more aggressive in his play calling and more aggressive in how he he plays these teams. And sometimes, and sometimes, look when you play aggressive, sometimes you get burned. And certainly, Dino has been burned a couple times playing really aggressive. But you get those wins, like beating Clemson, like well, several of the wins in 2018. Uh, you know, you play aggressive like against North Carolina, that close game that went to overtime, North Carolina state, a back and forth game. And you get those wins. Um, you know, I think this year, and I know we've talked about this past season. I still think a lot of that was the problems on the offensive line and Tommy DeVito getting used to being a, a starter, which is just a different situation. Um, but I think the program, and I think a lot of Syracuse football fans are viewing as the program is at least now moving in the right direction. You've now, and this is crazy to think about, guys. You now have the longest tenured coach at Syracuse since Paul Pasqualoni. We're going in the year five of Dino, or, uh, is it year five? Year six? Um, yeah, uh, year yeah, 15, five of 17, Dino. 18, 19. So this will be year five. This will be year five. Yeah, yeah exactly. So it is it is the longest tenured coach um, Syracuse has had since Paul Pasqualoni, and it, and I you know what? what, when what you, yeah. We, well, I was just going to say when you have that constant changing, that doesn't help either. Cause that certainly doesn't help your recruiting and, and everything. Yeah.
1: I, I think what, what really helps us is that I think Dino is a lot older than people realize. And for a guy to just be getting his first power five head job, he's what? He's like 60. Yeah, yeah, he's, that it's more likely that uh, I and mean, that's a simple Google search. we could do that real quick, but I think it's more likely that he's at a point in his career where he might stick around longer than someone else would. But I think Doug you know, Rohn Babers was is
0: 58.
1: Yeah, So I think Doug Rohn was the right guy at the right time. Who else is going to take that job and inherit that team, other than someone who needs to beef up a head coaching resume? But he did yeah. a damn good job. Honestly, the 5-7 team might have been better than the 8-5 and five teams. That was just a sad crumbling of a season. But that 5-7 well, team was actually really good, too.
2: I, I wasn't trying to say that uh, Marone didn't have his moments. He totally did. I mean, our, yeah. he beat West Virginia damn near every – He was a very good head coach. coach. I mean, we we were we owned West Virginia. I remember particularly there was one season, I think it was 2011, where – uh, they won the first five games. One of them against Louisville, who was really good that season, and we we beat them. And then I mean, we lost out. Afterwards. Five
0: and two. We went five and two. We yeah, lost five. in there.
2: That we beat, was, we beat that Louisville, was... right? And I so I know there were a bunch of Louisville, West Virginia teams that that you know were were on the radar, and they were they were good teams. Um, but I mean, I don't know. I just the, the the coaching style just didn't really excite me. You know, I, I
1: just you saw. It was who, it was very conservative at times, mid, and you're right. He did quarter,
2: he did you know, you he did punt pl- on fourth down, fourth and two, and he punt. You know, and yeah, he did
1: coach. Down. He did coach to win those games that you probably weren't going to win, but they ended up being competitive. Yeah, he'd he'd coach them to just barely lose it.
3: Right, but I think the question we have to be asking is why is Syracuse no longer capable of sustained success? Um, and I think that that. One, you have to look at the Greg Robinson hire, and two, you have to look at the decision to take a head coach you knew you couldn't build that program around. And to and and let's for a moment go back to the Greg Robinson hire. Um, as Doc Gross tells it, um, Pete Carroll gave him two names: Bo Pelini and Greg Robinson. And um, I I forget who Bo Pelini was the defensive coordinator of. I think. Kind of want I think it was LSU or something. Yeah, he was um, LSU. And they got blown yeah. out by US yeah, he either, But he's,
2: he's just not a good head coach. Neither is Robinson.
3: Well, uh, Bob Polini had some was,
2: pretty good teams.
3: Yeah, Polini wasn't a terrible head coach. I don't think much of how he, he treats his players. First, he he, he but, was
2: not good. Nebraska was glad to be rid of him when when it was all said and done.
3: But yeah, in, in in to to bring up Nebraska, the other guy, Nebraska just fired Frank Solich. Um, when uh, Syracuse was looking for a head coach. And my dad's a huge Nebraska fan. Frank Solich and Paul Pasquale were very similar in that they inherited these great programs. They both had some down years. And can you imagine if um, Syracuse had picked up a, an established head coach like Frank Solich? I mean, Frank Solich went to Ohio. Um, do you take the Ohio job or do you take the Syracuse job? I kind of think that at the moment that they were looking, that they hired Robinson, Syracuse could have picked a guy that was already a head coach somewhere else rather than someone without a track record. I don't think that they were oh, in such that they had to take that risk. I think it was an you unnecessary the- risk it blew up in our face.
0: I, I agree with you on that, Brett. I mean, we were only a couple years from a 10-win season, so it was still a pretty darn good job that I think Solich probably would have taken. Kevin can attest to this. Kevin, every time that Syracuse has an opening – for the head coaching job, how many times have I said we need to call Frank? So oh, every time,
2: you know, Matt is the first guy to be like, "Hey, Frank Solich is available. Let's let's give him a look." And we've we've never given him a look for one reason or another. Um,
0: but I'll tell you, I'll tell you, you know, when I look at at Syracuse and the downfall that happened around two thousand four, two thousand five, we can we can talk about the exact date, kind of like Joe did. I think you know what timing is everything. timing is everything in life. And when you look at when Syracuse started to struggle, they started to struggle at the worst possible time they could have started to struggle, the worst possible time because college football, which was already very popular, let's be very clear, it was very popular, exploded at the same time okay. I mean, it was shifting so-
1: it was shifting geographically very much.
0: It was, and here's the thing, you know, college game day in the early 2000s really started to become a phenomenon to itself. Right? They started traveling to campuses in the 90s, but really in the 2000s it became its own entity. It's part of the college football landscape now. College football final debuted in 1999, right? So ESPN's really putting in the money on this. In 2005, ESPNU debuted the yeah the college football video game franchise got more realistic and more detailed in that time with things like xbox playstation 2 xbox 360 etc etc the internet is exploding right you have people are following recruiting better scout.com rivals max preps they're putting together these lists people are now following Uh, The recruiting process like they never have before. YouTube, everyone's favorite place to get highlights, comes out in February 2005. The iPhone and the beginning of the era of the smartphone comes in 2007, where now people are following games live on their phone. They're, They're watching highlights. Guys who are recruits are watching on these things. They're using Twitter and Facebook come about a little later on. Uh, MySpace before that. People are sharing their ideas and thoughts on programs. All of this happens. It's somewhat the information revolution mixed with ESPN expanding and college football exploded right when Syracuse was imploding. And by the way, you know what all of that did, guys? You know what that led to? The greatest arms race in the history of college football and maybe in the history of American sports. Now every team's out there, every college is out there building, upgrading their stadium, building new facilities. The, the, um, according to Newsday, the, the compensation for college football coaches from 2007 on, uh, it grew something like 75%. The money being poured in just increases because now all the eyeballs you're getting. And
3: all of this happened when Syracuse football – hit its worst period in history. And, and, and the one thing that you didn't mention there, Matt, was the fact that this was also in the middle of the conference realignment. You you lose Miami and Boston College and the money that they bring in. And all of a sudden, even though the Big East, you know, a- after they lost those programs, was still relevant and was still BCS Bowl eligible, it was always kind of the ugly stepchild to the ACC. Um and and the SEC and and the Big Ten and the Big Twelve it wasn't ever thought of as on that same level, um, and yep. now you have Syracuse struggling in you know the the least of the Power Five, um you know they're not getting the eyeballs they're it's almost impossible to get the recruits and I think it like in in one sense we all want to blame Greg Robinson because there's a face and we can go he did it. And Doc Gross hired him, and it's Doc Gross's fault. But I think that you do have to consider all of the outside forces, and the timing just stunk. And it was a matter of the, everything that you were talking about, now with the information um, revolution, coupled with the conference realignment. And it just – it was the wrong time for a, a program in the Northeast to struggle.
2: And you can look at what Doc Gross did after that period, right? So, make obviously the Robinson hire was disaster, but you can look at what he did after that, and that's you know bringing things back with Marone, and then you know rebranding us as New York's college team. And yeah, you could go either way on whether it was a good decision to schedule all these neutral site games at MetLife against teams like Penn State, USC. Which we always got blown out, but I—I I always USC, was not game, going. Was USC I, game was competitive. USC game was competitive. Forty-two were, 20, games 20. that we're we're probably not going to win, right? And that that's what brings me to the point of uh, during that period, it always felt like we scheduled homecoming for our biggest game of the year because that's the only way we could bring fans in. You know, we, we couldn't schedule a cupcake team and pack the stadium, so we'd have to. Yeah. You know, play against Clemson or, or you know, I mean, during that time, um, some of the other Big East teams. And, and you know, the, the move to the ACC is really – that was just Doc Gross deciding to get off a sinking ship. I think any athletics director would have made that decision. Um, they either but, moved yeah. or they'd have been left behind. Yeah, yeah, and I don't want to make it sound like an indictment on, on Doc Gross or, or, or whatever, but I, I do think that that was a – he made some pivotal decisions that – you know, one way or the other, uh, impacted the program significantly during that that period where we became New York's college team. Which I don't really know if we need to be New York's college team. I mean, it's kind of a de facto thing. I wanna
1: I wanna touch on a few things that you guys have mentioned. First of all, I agree with you, Kevin, in that I think we scheduled ourselves out of a couple of bowl games over the last ten years. Um, while as a fan, it was great to go see us play a brand name team at a big football stadium, like those are games that could have been winnable non-conference games and could have gotten us to six wins some of those years. Um, the scheduling was really a a big, big downfall and we're still trying to stop doing that. Um, but a lot of that was, that was Daryl Gross's whole approach was the branding and the marketing. And like you said, the New York's college team, I mean, but even with that, I mean, a lot of him doing that is why we were able to procure enough funding for, like, the new football facility. Um, so I think we owe Daryl Gross a lot for that. I think we owe him a lot for joining the ACC. Um, even in the first year of us being in the ACC, our TV d- income from the new ACC TV deal was a $17 million increase over the old Big East deal. And that was before the ACC network was a thing. Um And then earlier Matt had touched on recruiting Brett, Brett mentioned recruiting and Matt touched on the lack of continuity because of all the coaching changes. And I think that's kind of where the whole thing comes down to all these factors boil down to recruiting. If you don't have the talent, you're not going to win the 2001 recruiting class, um, which was the last time we we had had like a big winning season. That was the 10 and three season. That recruiting class was ranked 29th nationally According to 247, I looked at 247 for all this. Um, then you go to 2005, which is the transition year from Pasqualone to Robinson. That class drops to 64.
3: And they lost Ray Rice.
1: And they lost out on Ray Rice. Was that because of the coaching change?
3: Yeah, Ray, Ray Rice had um, given an oral commitment to Syracuse. And after Pasqualone was canned, he went, nah, I'm. I'm out. Yeah. And it it was absolutely because of the coaching change.
1: So anecdotally, it's a little even further evidence. I want to keep going. 2009, the next coaching transition after Robinson already bottomed out the program and you double that with a coaching change, that recruiting class was ranked 92nd nationally. Um, So Dino's finally gotten us to a point where our recruiting is coming back up, but we're still kind of stuck in that 50s and 60s ranked nationally recruiting classes. We've never really been able to fully recover from bottoming out in a 90th ranked recruiting class. I think all these factors boil down to recruiting. The talent hasn't been there. The better coaches get more out of the players. I think that's what you saw with those Marone teams and what you saw now finally with Dino's teams. But if you can't improve the recruiting, you can't really... Dig out any further than what we've been able to do. The t- the uh, the Camping World Bowl team probably overperformed quite a bit compared to its talent, and that's kind of where we're at right now. To have a season like that, your players have to outperform their talent, and we haven't been able to really build that talent pool back up.
3: And, and then I disagree with you a little bit on the Doc Gross point because I I think he made three coaching hires that all contributed to us not being able to have the sustained success that we need. I think Kevin's right that the move to the ACC was um, something so obvious that anyone would have done it. Um, And, you know, he, he helped certain programs, but, you know, when you're talking about a big time college program, you hire an athletic director for football and nothing else really. Um, You know, in and, Doc Gross made three coaching decisions that hurt us in the long run, and the timing of it couldn't have been worse. But you
2: could you could argue you could argue that we don't get Dino if it hadn't been for the success under Marone. I mean, Syracuse program was on the up and up. Uh, we we at least made a couple of bowl games and had some wins. Um, yeah, if it's still had like a Robinson type deal. I don't think Dino would have. I'm
1: uneasy with what? calling the Marone era a failure when he went to two bowl yeah. games and dug us out of the Robinson era just because he jumped ship to the NFL after four years. And, I'm and not calling him a
3: failure. All I'm saying is he did not lead the program to sustain success. Right. Right. Well, uh, let us not forget too that Dino Babers is a John
0: Wildhack hire. And I think when we get into this, the leadership, not only at the AD level, but even at the chancellor level, matters a lot. I think you have a chancellor right now and Kent Seward. I think you have uh, an athletic director and John Wildhack, who not only is an SU alum, but is an ESPN alum who knows the importance of Mark
1: Coyle. Didn't Mark Coyle hire Dino Babers? Was that, was that Coyle? I I I think that's the one thing he did. Coyle I think and that's he, the maybe, one thing it was. He maybe it was
2: whatever it was he moved back yeah. to his family something like that Yeah, yeah. I you
1: think
2: know that's what? the you're one right.
1: thing he did <laughs> right, yeah, yeah
0: you
2: know what Mark Coyle was such a flash in the pan
0: I forgot about Mark Coyle Uh but, but yeah, I, agree with, right.
1: I agree with everything else you said about Wild Hack I think he's great but I think Mark Coyle but, was but, the but
2: one thing your, he did point matt it, it is nice though that we've got a couple of institution guys we've got you know uh wild hack who's a syracuse alum and such and my hope is that dino becomes that institutional presence of uh you know he just kind of has that way about him he just excites players you know and we were talking about uh you know off off air we were talking about uh uh, ed ogeron right he's he's not quite an ed ogeron Uh, no one's an ed ogeron you know, we're going to go back to – we got a nice week. I got I got Kelly and my three boys with me. Uh-huh. We're probably going to go get
0: a ham sandwich or maybe some boot down or something. Go to bed and wake up tomorrow and do it again.
2: But he he is a player's coach. He's someone who has these these rules and players live and die by him. And, you know, they, they love him. They just want to play for him. So that's what excites me about, you know, where we're headed is that we, we don't have a Doug Marone who kind of, you know, just – Punts on fourth and two in the fifty. You know, down by two touchdowns. You know, Dino plays for the win. Shit, and I'm telling you that. Oh, you you just go. put yourself on the map. Okay. Yeah. There's a yeah. bunch of non-believers, and all of a sudden they gotta love Hey, yeah. 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 remember who was which in the beginning. Remember who was on the train. Yeah. But uh-huh. darn it, ain't it good to be winners again? In yeah. The- yeah. He just excites guys. He gets fired up. He's more interesting to listen to in press conferences.
1: Those are also coaches who understand the importance of engaging the community as well, which I think, especially for a school like us, you're not going to get any su- sustained success if you can't engage the community.
0: And, and a school like Syracuse needs those intangibles to become uh, relevant. Uh, I mean, you think about, I mean, look, I mean, there are plenty of mid-majors that had fewer resources available to them, who became consistent contenders. Um, I mean, you think of schools like Boise State, right? Consistent contender, right, for for quite a while there, and, and even still relatively big contender. They don't have the resources, even a school like Boise State doesn't have the resources that a school like Syracuse has. So – a school like Syracuse, you still need those intangibles, and something like a really exciting coach like Dino Babers is one of those.
2: And something to get not just the players fired up, and the coaching staff, and the university, but alumni and such. You know, like and uh, I remember back. I mean, it's it's not like Doug Marrone didn't have those moments, right? I mean, I think we can all remember that. Um, what is it? Uh, the the, the Yankee Stadium Bowl. Uh, why am I playing? Oh, the pinstripe. pinstripe, yeah, bowl. pinstripe bowl. Uh, the pinstripe bowl in 2012, where Prince Tyson goalie just went off in the snow, oh, yeah. and it was miserable and cold. Was it out. snow?
1: Was it snow? I thought it was ice rain from hell. It was awful,
2: <laughs> but I'll never ice forget rain, that game. Did everyone? Everyone uh, showed this up. One, this kind can. Hurt. And that was and that was Doug Marone's last. That was, that was I'll always have a fond memory of Doug last Marone. Game. Last moment because that's when he went out. You know, we beat West Virginia in the pinstripe. Prince Tyson Gully was ready to go in the in the the hellfire from rain or uh, hell rain from whatever. And <laughs> <laughs> the gunsmith is pressured and dropped for a safety. And Gully headed for the end zone here in New York. Prince Tyson Gully up the gut. And Syracuse stretches the lead against a fatigue
0: defense, 33 yards to the end zone. I'll, I'll tell you something I think also hurt Syracuse kind of at the beginning of this process was also its own issues came at the same time that certain other programs were on the rise. Now the programs I'm going to mention have um, since collapsed. Um, one was Rutgers, who from 2005 to 2014 went 79-49. and 49. And that was a lot of your recruiting base in New Jersey, and UConn, who was a little more of a flash in a pan, but they did go to five bowl games in a in a seven year span. It wasn't Pasqualoni
3: uh, responsible for
0: some of that. Yeah, Pasqualoni got in there at some point, but uh, uh, that the all the all those big bowls though was Randy Edsel
1: yeah, as the head the, coach. The, the, the former BCS Syracuse bowl. alum,
0: Syracuse alum Randy Edsel. The BCS uh,
1: bowl and, was Randy Edsel. Yeah.
0: yeah when they lost to Oklahoma in the Fiesta. And then he but, bailed I mean, on a
1: team like immediately after. Yeah. And and so, but
0: then now both of those teams have struggled. I mean, since that 2014, Rutgers has only been 13 and 47. They haven't made a bowl. Now they have Greg Schiano back. Their recruiting has gotten better here recently. Will that turn in the results? We'll see. Obviously, whether or not that turns in the results.
1: Doesn't you have Randy Edson back turn? too?
0: He does, yeah, yeah. Well, that <laughs> hasn't done anything to help him.
1: I think well, I'm, I'm think...
3: hoping that the dome renovations help out too, because as much as we all love the dome and the dome roof and the sentimentality of it all, um, it got to, the dome got to a point where like it's not awe inspiring to recruits to see that, no. um, and and say, hey, we're gonna play here every week. And I, I at a minimum, I just hope that the the new dome. That's I guess not a dome will look awesome. So when a recruit sees it, goes, "Hey, this is cool," um, to like just just something simple like that. Because I
1: mean, and no troughs. Get rid of the troughs, and I'll I'll give them all of no. my money. I love the no. Troughs. I love
2: troughs. <laughs> I love the The dome dogs, the troughs, the the fact that it was kind of crappy, you know. And and we always joked about you know, like we're we're so excited about this game we're going to pop the dome,
1: Pop right? well, the dome. To
2: pop it, and now it it doesn't it just doesn't have the same pizzazz for it. I mean it's, they're still going to call it the Carrier Dome, but you know yeah, I'll, they're uh, going to they're going to try robot, their. Dare. It's not, not going <laughs> to yeah, be Carrier. It's not going to be Carrier because of the contract. I don't I think so. More than, I, the, no, no carrier. Carrier. the lawyer will have to. I mean, guys, have so a long contract on the it's forever. But they're trying.
1: Yeah. They're trying to legalize their way out of it. I mean, Matt. Oh. Matt can probably touch on this. <laughs> but um, well, I'd have spoiler to spoiler alert. Look at the, and, yeah, I'd have know, to take it away. Okay, I we made it, it to away. episode four.
0: Well, well, and the show is over forever. This is it,
2: folks. (laughs) Also, the windy doors. I had to mention the windy doors. That was my favorite thing about going to a game when I was like six. It was awesome. You got the the airlock. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, I I think Brett brings up a really good point, though, here. Uh, And it does kind of go back to that thing I was talking about earlier about the arms race. The arms race in college football is real. And the updating that stadium was absolutely required. And I give a lot of credit to the leadership of the university who finally, after it was talked about forever, pulled the trigger and decided to make the dome a really nice venue again. And it's, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what this, this roof, was it translucent or something? You're going to be able to kind of see through it.
1: It's Uh, not going to look that much different, but it is supposed to let in more natural light. Like there was an original rendering very early on where it was like clear and that's not what they ended up doing. It's not going to look right. that much different, well, but it will be brighter. It's thing, it is things brighter. It's like
2: good though. It's just not for like basketball. <laughs> the things like that, the 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 renovations and such that that help you stay competitive, because we need every possible advantage that we can right can get right now. Um, a lot because of college football holistically, right? And unlike the NFL, there's no reward for finishing a season six and six you don't get any brownie points you you get you get brownie points for exciting players you know, prospective players and potential recruits and such that well, get started you know?
0: I mean there are positives of finishing 6 and 6 I mean I'd rather finish better than that
2: but you want to go to well, a- I mean I, I mean like if you finish you know dead mid you know dead last or somewhere in the middle of the pack of the conference there's there's no there's no hand up that you can kind of Cling to, to to bring you up into the the upper echelon. That that's why I would argue that the system that college football has now makes it so that the Ohio States, LSU's, Alabama's of the world are destined to just stay there because you know, it kind of feeds into status quo. All these great programs all get the top, you know, they, they get the they, they get the pick of the litter, and then programs like Syracuse are kind of you know left to 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 recruit based on what's left the rich
0: get richer i mean that's and for, sure. for and and in terms of regionally a school like syracuse you're yeah. always going to struggle against penn state you're always going to struggle against
2: ohio state in terms yeah. of recruiting it my doesn't mean that, that you won't steal people from them but my hope is that one day we're competing against teams like that and even beating them and, and we're seeing it you know we beat clemson um two years ago and and that was exciting and you got to think that we, we need, just like the renovations and such, we need, to, we need to come up with new ways to compete with all these different schools that have a lot more means than we do. And it starts I think, with right. the
3: institutional hire, and I think that's what Dino is. I think Dino is the institutional hire that you can build the program around, and we haven't had that since Pasqualone. Amen. And I think right now, right,
0: college football, when you're rebuilding a college football program, it takes a long time. And there's steps. And right now Syracuse is still on that step. Just be consistently in a bowl, right? You know, you, not every season is going to yeah. be pretty and beautiful, but can you get seven and five? Can you get eight and four, you know, in a down year, can you be six and six so that you are going to a bowl game so that you get those 15 extra practices so that you can, you know, be on TV all alone between Christmas and new years or something like that. And you know, against very little other competition and all these potential recruits are sitting at home watching you. That's what you want because these guys want to make it to the NFL. They want TV time. They want to be where they're going to be
2: on TV. And to, to that point, I think that along with all the things you just mentioned, we need to have those moments that excite the fans. You know, a perfect opportunity comes to mind, which we touched on last week or the week before or whatever it was. Um, was uh, the the Clemson game homecoming last year where we packed it, we sold it out, we had the chance. I mean, like if we had won that game, I think we'd have, be having a completely different discussion right now. Um, just things like that. You take those opportunities. You
3: guys would have uh, murdered me.
2: I mean, you know, it, you
0: know But it, we didn't, so it's okay. Right,
2: but I think <laughs> I think I you can know, have a happy marriage. Yeah. Right. Taking those chances and see and, and and winning those games or competing in those games you know it, I think that goes a long way too the one single person
0: uh in this conversation um and and that means I'm not married nor am I engaged uh will declare that my wedding whenever that is will be a spring wedding or a summer wedding.
2: Oh. Yeah, just in case you didn't tune in last week, Brett's wedding was on the same day (laughs) as the Clemson Syracuse homecoming game, where I think
1: a lot of people
2: who went to that wedding made a profit on their ticket and it was not a good game anyway. So at least you have that. It all worked
1: out. Made a lot of money on that ticket. My options
3: are very limited.
0: Well, see, I know that if I get married on a fall Saturday, I will inevitably be wondering, and and if Syracuse is playing, I will inevitably be wondering what the score is, and I can't do that to myself.
3: Or whoever my significant other will be. No, you won't. Trust me. Because I'll die if I do? No.
1: Because all your friends will be (laughs) shouting the score at you the whole day anyway.
3: (laughs) Right. Right. Not not to get too sentimental, but on the day you get married, it. I mean, I would never do it when the World Series was happening, obviously, because I, I do have standards. But um, what? It's it, it's the <laughs> only time in 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 my life where it, there's a day that sports doesn't matter. Although I will add that my my wife, a Oklahoma alum. <laughs> During our first dance, I think it was her brother and grandmother had the OU game up on a phone, and you could see them silently cheering in the video of our first dance when they when OU got their first touchdown. I will forever
0: enjoy watching uh, the memory of uh, when the game was still close, Joe had the game on his phone, and Joe and his wife, Ashley, and Joe is dancing with her, and pushing her closer to the table so he can see the game as it's yeah, happening. He just had a crick
2: in his neck.
1: He
3: just had like <laughs> right. a super crick in his neck. So I Matt, hope i actually not listening to this.
1: Matt, the motion of the music just brought me in that general direction. Right. It was not my fault. Right. And and, and, and there was the best moment, and, and then we'll get off of this, but there's the,
2: one of the best moments of the night was was when uh, I you know some – I think it was a touchdown and everything like that. And then I look up at the, uh, the stage and Matt is like leading a congregation of people watching the game. And they're all like, touchdown. (laughs) (laughs) And it it came with a a whole like dance configuration and such afterwards.
0: Indeed. Indeed. I was having a fun night. It was, it was a good time. Um, Well, I think that's pretty good to end this conversation on. I think at some point, we're going to have to maybe do another podcast. We'll talk about solutions and things like that and what, what the next step might be. Uh, that'll certainly be a, a lot of fun to talk about. But you know what we need to talk about? Well, first of all, first of all, I, I've, I've, I have been told by one of my co-hosts I am required to bring up a Twitter poll that happened in the past week involving Syracuse basketball. And Kevin is declaring victory in the Twitter. It's poll. It's a tie.
1: It was a tie. Eight I don't to know, eight. If you look
2: on my Twitter feed, it says 50 50, but there's a check mark next to my name or next That's to That's indicating
1: the... your vote. Mine says the same I, thing I, for I,
2: me. I don't know. The jury's still out. We'll, we'll never know. This is I'm about go who was actually I more. I Joe's an idiot. Well, what we should at least explain. So, this Twitter
0: poll was about who was more wrong by when we did our 21st century Syracuse basketball starting five, uh, if I remember this right. Uh, Kevin left out Carmelo Anthony, and Joe left out Jerry McNamara. So, we asked the, our followers to vote who was more wrong, and it ended in a tie. So,
3: so we need Brett hates
0: them both, so it's okay. No, 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 no.
3: I to to be clear. I'm very much on one side here. Joe is wrong. Well, there you have it. So, but this is also a good time to segue into
0: our favorite continuing segment. It's also the only segment we've actually run every week. Uh, What made Brett mad this week? all right so you know what that sound means it's time for what made brett mad this week joe what is brett pissed about today
1: uh let's see i'm gonna say it's baseball related i'm gonna say brett doesn't like the notion of major league baseball reorganizing the divisions
2: oh crap you, you stole my exact one so I, I was gonna say, like the idea that uh, I don't even know. There's like a thousand theories in the, of what they're gonna do now. But the latest one that I had was all the East Coast teams in one division,
1: and then I would assume, you know, the yeah, Indian no, Eastern. no American League, no National League, just an Eastern, a Central, right. and a West.
2: Yeah. So I think those configure those those non traditional divisions. Will, yeah. Will Brett had to have be had a
1: fundamental issue with that concept. Yes, yes. I'm sticking with baseball as well,
0: so we're all being consistent. I think Brett is mad at all the minor league teams being shut down, because uh, I think you know you gotta love baseball at the minors level. You gotta love the, the game at its it's almost base level, right?
1: Blame
2: okay. the okay. Syracuse Mets. Yeah, and they were they were already cutting down on minor league teams before this whole pandemic started. So and now now we got no minor league baseball whatsoever. You know, which is just right, bummer. but but now they've, I believe, approved
0: the plan to like cut however many teams. It's a it's a ton, ton of teams getting cut.
3: All right, Brett. Um, so I thought this was going to be the most obvious one uh, of, of them all uh, about baseball. Um, but none of you got it. Um, I I'm I'm not getting upset about any of the plans to restart yet because one, I just need baseball to restart. So anything like, I'll be tuning into the KBO soon.
1: Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm not I'm, I'm not going to
3: um get too angry about plans to restart until we 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 know more. Um anything having to do with minimizing the minor leagues does suck and I love it. But since man first emerged from the primordial ooze, we have had a certain amount of intelligence and Obviously, some people are smarter than others, but I have to say that it shocks me, shocks me, that some people can be so stupid. And the first person here is Emmanuel Clace, who tested positive for PEDs. Um, Emmanuel Clace, if you don't know, uh, is a relief pitcher for the Cleveland Indians who has never pitched a game for them because they, he was acquired this offseason in a trade where Cleveland gave up Corey Kluber. Two-time Cy Young Award winner, and they basically gave him up for a relief pitcher who's somewhat unproven. Now I don't know if if they drug tested him before that trade went through, but they should have. But how in 2020 is any baseball player still taking PEDs? Like how dumb do you have to be? You get caught, and when you get caught, you lose at least half his season, and it just it wrecks everything. It it, ru- it, it ruins the entirety of the game. Ends up on a podcast that you've never heard of with someone yelling at you. And- hey, 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 easy on the podcast.
2: Well, <laughs> I'm just saying, like, you- hold your grudges, Brett, but don't take the podcast down with you. <laughs> hey, yeah, we're, yeah, yeah, we're trying to establish place. a we're following. Here.
0: <laughs> well, well, thank you, Brett, for that wonderful uh, I endorsement point out of that. the podcast.
1: Brett mentioned the Korean Baseball League, so everyone go watch Korean Baseball. I think it starts at 1 a.m. tonight. You can pick a great team just based off of its name. Uh, Kevin, you should cheer for the Hanwha Eagles. Uh, Brett, you can cheer for the Doosan Bears. Matt, I'll give you the – Matt, you're a corporate sellout. You can cheer for the Samsung Lions. <laughs> what? Oh yeah. Oh great. Yeah. As I'm the me, corporate I'm, sellout. I'm cheering for the NC dinos, but I'm gonna call them the NC dinos.
3: I think we need to do a fancy uh baseball draft tonight.
1: <laughs> well that'll hold us Korean over until players. that'll
2: hold us over. The Korean baseball league will hold us over until NASCAR comes back. All right, Matt, uh, two weeks.
0: I am excited. I am ready. All right. Hey yeah. golf is coming back. It is coming back. That's exciting as well. I won't yeah, be able to
3: use my car, but I'll be able to watch other people do it.
0: There you go. Well, you know, whatever whatever can get us back to the, at least, yeah. I mean, I, I'm really excited about NASCAR coming back. Anybody doesn't know I'm a big NASCAR fan, so. Um, but, yeah. So, that is the end of episode four. And uh, unlike what Brett said, you should listen to us.
3: Yeah, I, <laughs> you I, should... I never said you shouldn't listen. Yeah. I just said we have never been heard of right follow us well, on twitter, you should, you us on
0: twitter. Us? yeah
3: right follow us on twitter at
0: 3il pod tell your friends about us so that we are heard of and rate us because if you rate us then well then Apple when we Podcasts feel good podcast you'll feel great and apple and google Podcasts will also suggest us uh to, to people in the field. will suggest us to other people.
3: So that's what see, we I want. Do a favor because when I say something like that, I am often proven wrong. So the only way for me to be proven wrong is for people to have heard of us, in which case we would be happy and I'd be wrong and all was right in the world. All
0: right, thanks, Brett. All right, so that is the end of episode four. <laughs> all right, Brett Fortnum, Joe Shell, Kevin O'Keefe, I'm Matt Pfeiffer. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. <laughs>